This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. This morning we're going to continue on as we've been uh, journeying through looking at the, the, uh, the story of the Bible and seeing how it all is this connected story that tells us uh, again over and over about, about Jesus. And, and there's things that we can learn about ourselves in the process as we study those things. We began talking about the, as Adam as the image of God created in His holiness, uh, created to bear rule in this world, and they failed because of the influence of sin. And from that time, God has been working, uh, as, had initiated a rescue plan to, to fix this problem and this error of sin. We found that in Genesis 3.15. God said that from the seed of a woman uh, would come one who would crush the head of the serpent. And that serpent would get in his heel strike, uh, but, um, or the strike on the heel rather, and injure the, injure the, the son of the woman, but... Uh, ultimately that son would prevail, and that was the first prophecy of Christ. And so from that time, from issuing that promise in Genesis 3.15, God has been working to bring about that promise. And so we saw the story shift to, the, to Abraham, and God focuses on Abraham and says, from you and your family, all nations of the earth will be blessed. And, and he was going to, and he chose Abraham to carry this uh, promise from, from him, and bring about the Christ. Uh, and then last time we talked about Israel. Israel was the grandson, or Jacob was the grandson of Abraham. Um, Abraham was called to, to give up his son, the son of promise, and Isaac was born. And so Isaac has a son and passes down this promise to his son Israel, or his name is changed to Israel, so it's hard for me to remember to, to make that distinction. But Jacob, he's passed down this promise to him. And uh, we saw in the life of Jacob this incredible uh, story about him having to flee from this error that, that he was involved in, in deceiving his brother Esau and taking that birthright from him, uh, although Esau did sell his birthright for the pottage, uh, for the bowl of beans, basically. Uh, he fled after having deceived his father and he received the blessing. He flees for his life and after 20 years comes back to confront this problem and there's a transformation, a picture of transformation that takes place. He leaves as Jacob, and he comes back, God having changed his name to the place where it all began, and he changes his name to Israel, a prince with God and man. He's prevailed with God and man. And so it's, a, it's an incredible story, and there's a lot for us to learn. Now, if you'll recall in that story, in Genesis uh, 46, verse 3 through 4, we read this, when at near the end of Jacob's life, he, after Joseph had gone into Egypt, uh, they were uh, through the events of that story, Joseph had sent to bring his family into Egypt. And Jacob, on his way there, as they stopped there at Bethel, uh, it, it says there in Genesis 46 that God comes to him and he said, I am God, the God of thy father. Fear not to go down into Egypt, for there I will make of thee a great nation. So now we see God get really specific with this promise. So, so far, he said, I will make of a great nation. I will make a great nation out of you. And now he tells Jacob, go there, and there is where I will make a great nation out of you. I'll go down with thee into Egypt, and I will also surely bring thee up again. And Joseph shall put his hand upon thine eyes. Now, I should have included some other things that we've already examined. In Genesis chapter uh, 17, um, I believe it's chapter 17, when God comes to Abraham and makes the covenant, and remember the that Abraham kills these animals and splits them in half, and, he, and then the lamp and the, the furnace, the burning furnace, pass through there, and it's God making this covenant uh, with Abraham. Um, but part of that covenant, God promised Abraham that his people would go be enslaved to this other nation for, for 400 years and, and be in oppression, and, but that God was ultimately going to be with them and lead them out. So that's all connected to the story of Israel going into Egypt and being there and growing into this great nation. But see here how God, how specific the language is. God says, go there. I will, there is where I will make of thee a great nation. I will go down with you and I will bring you back up. Now we saw and examined in the story of Jacob that that's a picture of the resurrection taking place, of God uh, going down into this place with his people and then leading them up out of this place of bondage and of death. Um, and so, 
the Israelites enter into Egypt because of Joseph, and over many years uh, they go down there and they become a great nation, and they multiply and they just multiply, and it gets to a point that there was a Pharaoh that rose up that did not know about Joseph, didn't care about Joseph and all the blessings that he had brought to the, the people of Egypt, and he was threatened by this, this group of Hebrews that was growing as part of his nation, and they were afraid that if an enemy came against them that the Hebrews would turn and side with their enemy and, and then they would be overtaken because they were outnumbered. And so what the, what the Egyptians did was enslave the Hebrews and put them in, into hard labor and were very cruel to, to the people of Israel. Um, and it got to a point as, as part of a population control, a pharaoh rose up that decided it was, it was prudent to uh, kill all of the firstborn of the Hebrew children. And so uh, Moses, um, so Moses is born, and he is saved by his mother. We know the story. His mother puts him in the basket. She sends Miriam, her daughter, uh, to go. Uh, the firstborn sons. Uh, he sends Miriam. She sends Miriam, and she puts him down the river in the basket. And the the daughter of Pharaoh finds this baby and takes him in and raises him in in her own household. And so Moses is raised with. Uh, among the Egyptian royalty. Um, and as he is grown, um, when, when he's grown, he sees the oppression of his people. There's an Egyptian who is oppressing a, a Hebrew, and Moses goes and he kills him. He kills the Egyptian. Um, and he was afraid uh, that people might have known, and then he discovers that people did find out what was going on because he sees, his, he sees two Hebrews uh, going at it with one another, and they're, they're fighting and arguing, and he steps in to stop the argument and says, you guys are brothers, you're brethren, you're from the same people, why are you fighting against each other? And they said, what are you going to do, kill us the way you killed the Egyptian? And so he was, he was scared and afraid, and so he ran. He fled Egypt, only, only to be told by God that uh, you're going to go back into Egypt, and you have to deliver my people from Egypt. And so Moses reluctantly takes on the task, of being called by God to be a deliverer, but he, but he takes it on, and he goes back into Egypt. And in Exodus 3, verse 9 through 10, this is what God told him. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I also have seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So, so Moses is called to be a deliverer, and he goes back into Egypt, and through a series of ten plagues, uh, God finally proves and shows to Pharaoh that he is the true God, and Pharaoh breaks, and he lets the Egyptians, or he lets the Hebrews, rather, uh, go. He lets them depart from him. Uh, yet he's still angry about this, and so he, he pursues them and tries to fight them, but God protects his people. He's, he's a, 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 uh, a guardian from on the front and even on the rear of, of his people. He goes before them, and he's behind them. And he protects them from the armies of Pharaoh, and he destroys army and uh, the armies of Pharaoh, and just utterly lays waste to them and protects them. So this is things that they saw and they witnessed and they experienced um, as they fled Egypt. So we get to Exodus chapter that covers a lot of the story from Exodus, you know, three on to about nineteen. Um, but in Exodus 19, about three months after they left the land of Egypt, the Israelites come to the wilderness of Sinai. So Exodus 19, 3 through 6, Moses went up to God, and the Lord called him out of the mountain, saying, uh, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bare you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me. Above, uh, above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak to the children of Israel. So, kind of what you see from the time of Adam, uh, we saw this with Noah. God called Noah and said, be holy and do these commandments. Uh, they were the new image bearers of God, and he says, keep my commandments and I'll be with you. And of course, sin continued to grow, and then he comes to Abraham, and he tells him the same promise, and he get, passes it on to Isaac and then to Jacob, and now to this whole nation, 
God is calling them to what mankind's original purpose was in the first place, to be a holy people unto God, to be this kingdom of priests, bear uh, rule and have dominion in this world. This is what God wants all along. He wants us to be His holy people. And so now He looks at this whole nation and says, if you will do this and obey my word and obey my voice, then you will be this kingdom of priests. Um, and so three months after they leave Egypt, this is, this is the covenant God is making with them. And so Moses lays these words of God out before the people, and they all agree and they consent, and they say, we will obey all that, the, at, that God has spoken. We will do it. And so God instructs the people to be sanctified on the third day, and God was going to appear to them. And that's exactly what happens. Uh, they're, they're there at Mount Sinai, and he instructs for them to set a barrier around the mountain so that people would not go up, and, and they, wouldn't, they couldn't even touch the barrier or they would die. And any animal that crosses the barrier or touches the barrier would die. Um, and so God descends upon Mount Sinai, and there's this thunderings and, these, and this smoke and this fire, uh, and the people are afraid, but God speaks to them in the presence of all the people, and He delivers to them the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. And here's the commandments that He gives them. Have no other gods before me. Don't make or worship idols. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath. These first four have to do with their dealings with God. This is for, for their individual dealings with God. This is how God wants them, them to conduct themselves. They're to love God with all their heart, soul, strength, and mind. This is the first great commandment. Now, the, the following six commandments deal with their relationship with other people, mankind, their brethren. He says to honor your parents. Do not kill. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not covet. So you see this breakdown. It's very interesting. Honor God. Honor your fellow man. That's the core of, of what it means to be a, a follower of God. He wants us to, to take on those qualities in our life. And so he gives that to them in the form of these Ten Commandments. Now that's a framework for the rest of the law that he gives them. And so he continues to give Moses judgments and instructions in, in Exodus chapter 20. Um, but let's look at what it says in verse 18 through 20, because God has come down on this mountain. There's thunderings, there's lightnings, there's, there's this fire, and they're terrified at, at this, that God is speaking to them. Uh, and all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they were moved and stood far off. They were scared, and so they backed way up. And they said to Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear, but not, let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, for God has come to prove you, that his fear may be before your faces, that you sin not. And the people stood far off, and Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. And the Lord said to Moses, Thus shall I say to the children of Israel, You have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. God is doing these things. And, and again, he repeated it um, when, he, when he gave them the commandments and said, Be my holy people. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You saw the evidence for yourself. You saw all the great things that I did, the great protection that I brought to you against the armies of Egypt. You think that would be enough to convince them that this is the true God and we should do what he says. And again, they witness God himself coming on this mountain and speaking before them. He says, you have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. You think that would be enough to motivate these people, but they're afraid and they back up and they say, no, we, we don't want to talk to God. We don't want, say, they put distance between themselves and God and say, we need you, Moses, to be a mediator between us and God. So you talk to God on our behalf and we'll listen to you. <clears throat> so they're scared. But in Exodus 21 through 23, God continues giving Moses judgments to deliver to the people. So Moses goes to that thick darkness and continues receiving in instructions and judgments that he's going to deliver to the people. And in Exodus 24, Moses comes and he delivers the word of the Lord to the people. And, and we read in 6 through 8, Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar and he took the book of the covenant and read it in the audience of the people. So he comes back and he tells the people all the things that God told them and they said, We're, we'll do it. So they make sacrifices and they take the blood and, and he reads the covenant, the book of the covenant in the audience of all the people and they said, all that the Lord says, we will... Uh, all that the Lord has said we will do and be obedient. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and, and said, Behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words. So it also talks about how he sprinkles it on the altar, he sprinkles it on the book, 
And the sacrificial blood that was given now binds the people to the covenant that they had entered into with God. So there's a sacrifice to ratify this covenant and, and bind them together. Uh, and they all agree to obey. Those are important details to, to know. Every time God has said to do these things, they, they, we will do it. We're on board. We're signing up. So they're agreeing. They're agreeing to hold up their end of the bargain of being God's holy people and listening to His commandments. And now it's bound with blood. And they are, they are bound to this covenant. Um, so in, as you go on in the story, we see the, the, the giving of the law and the people being uh, delivered these judgments and these laws and these commandments. God is called up again to come near to God. And so he's called to go up into the mountain in Exodus 24. And the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me in the mount and be there, and I will give thee tables of stone and a law and commandments which I have written that thou mayest teach them. And Moses rose up, excuse me, and his minister Joshua, it's the same Joshua that would end up leading them later on after Moses' death. Uh, and Moses went up into the mount of God. And he said to the elders, Tarry ye here for us, till we come again to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. If any man have any matters to do, let them come to them. So Moses is called up to the mountain to God for 40 days to go and hear these words and these instructions. And so between Exodus 25 and 31, we see God giving Moses the design of the tabernacle, the way it was all supposed to be built and made, with the materials they're supposed to use and the patterns that they're supposed to use. He gives them instructions for how they're supposed to worship God. Uh, he gives them instructions for the priesthood and how they're supposed to carry out their worshiping to God and the sacrifices they bring and all these things. He, he gives them through Exodus 25 through 31. Um, and, and there, again, he receives tables that God himself had written on, and he gives them to Moses. And, and so it's something very special. Now, things, <laughs> things quickly take a different turn in Exodus 32. So we're going to open our Bibles here and read from Exodus chapter 32 and see what takes place here with the people. Now that sets up and gives us enough backstory to understand. God led them out, He protected them, He gave them the law, they all agreed to do it, and He bound them to this covenant. And they, they got to hear for themselves what they should do and what they should not be doing. Remember, Moses is up on the mount. He's been there for 40 days. So here's what happens. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what has become of him. We don't know what's happened to Moses. We don't know where he is. He's taking forever. He's, we need gods to worship, Aaron, is what they've come and, and said to Aaron. Um, and Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So it seems like he's trying to, to do, instruct them to, to give, them, give up something materially that might mean something a lot, that uh, might mean a lot to them, rather. Uh, kind of like, you know, they're going to put some skin in the game here. And maybe he was hoping that they wouldn't go through with it. Like, well, we want to keep our gold. But that's not what happened. Uh, all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool, after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, and they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And Aaron saw it, and he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early on the morrow and burnt, burnt offerings uh, and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. So... Very quickly after God had told them, don't make images and don't worship idols, here they come to Aaron, the religious leader, because they're bored and they're waiting on Moses and they're impatient, and they say, make us gods. And so he gets all their gold and he fashions this golden calf and they start to worship it and they, they start to attach it to, to God because he says, it's a feast day to the Lord. So Aaron doesn't understand the problem here that they're worshiping now this idol and this beast. Um, now think about their influence because they were in Egypt for so long. They had several bull calves or bull gods rather 
uh, Apis was one of their one of their calf and uh, one of their calf gods, and it kind of makes sense that they were so influenced to remember these gods and create this kind of god, and now they're attaching it to the true god who really brought them out of Egypt, and uh, and the way they describe it, this is the god that, that has brought you out or shall go before you, um, that brought you up out of the land of Egypt, which is a total falsehood. And so they're having a good time, and they're celebrating. They're rising up to eat, uh, sitting down to eat and, and, and drink, and rising up to play. So they're having a great big party down there because of this, this God that they made with their own hands. And the Lord said to Moses, Go, get thee down for the people. Thy people which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made a molten calf, and have worshipped it, and sacrificed thereunto, and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. So God is very displeased, and his anger is hot with Israel. They've made this golden calf. They've broken the covenant that they've entered into very quickly after having been bound to it and agreed uh, to do these things. They make this calf and this image, and they're worshiping it, and God is, is very, very displeased with this. And no, notice what he tells Moses. He says, he says uh, just turn me loose. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to destroy all of them. I'll start all over you with you, Moses. I'll start all over and make a great nation out of you. So he's remembering this promise, and he's still continuing, because we're tracking this Genesis chapter 3 promise of, God, of how God is going to bring this great blessing to all the earth. But he tells Moses, I'm going to wipe them all out, and I'll start all over with you, and I'll bring this promise through you. Moses then steps in, and we see that Moses is an interceder on, the, on behalf of the people. He makes intercession between God and man. And Moses besought the Lord his God, and he said, Lord... Why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou, thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, For mischief did he bring them out to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. Remember Abraham and Isaac and Israel thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self and saidst to them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven. And all this land have I, that I have spoken of will I give to your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do to his people. So Moses successfully pleads to God and, and, and says, Remember your covenant. If you do this and destroy this people, the Egyptians are going to laugh and mock and say, Why did God take his people out there so they could kill him? And, and it would have been... It would have been uh, of course, that wouldn't have been the, the case, but Moses knew. And so, and he says, please remember this promise that you made to Abraham. And so God remembers this covenant and this promise that he makes. Uh, okay, power almost died there. <laughs> um, so God remembers this covenant that he made, and he repents of this evil, and so... For the time being, he, he, his, he withholds his wrath from this people. So Moses successfully intercedes on their behalf. Now, now remember the other thing. They saw for themselves the great power that God had and brought them out of Egypt with and the mountain and the smoking. And now all of a sudden they're looking to this calf, this piece of metal, and saying, this is the God that brought us out. Totally confused and, and mixed up about the true God. Okay, so Moses then turns down and goes down from the mountain, as God tells him in verse 15. And he has the two tables of testimony in his hand. The tables were written on both their sides. One, on the one side and on the other side were they written. And the tables were the work of God. And the writing was the writing of God, graven upon the tables. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said unto Moses, There's a noise of war in the camp. And he said, It is not the voice of them that, that shout for mastery, neither is it the voice of them that cry for being overcome. But the noise of them that sing do I hear. And it came to pass as soon as he came nigh to the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger waxed hot, and he cast the tables out of his hand, and he brake them beneath the mount. So Moses th throws down these tablets at the bottom of the mount, and he breaks them. And it's somewhat symbolic of, 
this, the people of Israel breaking the covenant of God that he, they had entered into. Um, and, and so then Moses then takes the calf which they had made and burnt it with fire, ground it to powder and strawed it upon the water and made the children of Israel to drink of it. And, the, and Moses said to Aaron, What did this people unto thee that thou hast brought so great a sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let, the, let not the anger of my Lord wax hot. Thou knowest the people that they are set on mischief. For they said unto me, Make us gods which shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what has become of him. Uh, and, and I said to them, Whosoever hath, hath any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it me, and then I cast it into the fire, and they, there came out this calf. So look at Mo, uh, Aaron's excuses that he's making to, to Moses. Hey, I don't, you know these people. You know these people are mischievous. You know that their heart is set on, on this error. I don't know. I, I told them to give me all the gold. I put it in the fire, and this is just what came out. And we know that that's not true because it said that Aaron fashioned it. He used the graving tool. He, he modeled and molded this thing, this piece of metal that came out. Um, and, so, uh, and so that's what happens when Moses confronts him, the excuses he's making and the backpedaling he's doing. Uh, so then in verse 25, when Moses saw that the people were naked, for Aaron had made them naked to their shame among their enemies, then Moses stood at the gate of the camp and said, who is on the Lord's side? What an amazing scene that we have here painted in the scriptures for us. He stands at the gate of the camp and says, Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. And he said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Put every man his sword by his side and go in and out from gate uh, to gate throughout the camp and slay every man his brother and every man his companion and every man his neighbor. And the children of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And there fell of the people that day about 3,000 men. For Moses had said, Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord, even every man upon his son and upon his brother, that he may bestow upon you a blessing this day. And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Peradventure I will make an atonement for your sin. So Moses is an executor of judgment as he stands before the people and says, Who is on the Lord's side? And he gathers up those who are righteous to himself. And then he says to the people, You have sinned, and I'm going to go up to the... To, to God, uh, and hopefully I will make an atonement for the sin that you've committed. Now we see something incredible about Moses here when he makes intercession on behalf of the people. And Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Yet now, if, if thou wilt, forgive their sin. And if not, blot me, I pray thee out of thy book which thou hast written. What, a, what an amazing thing for Moses to, to do as he goes before God. He said, these people have sinned. Please forgive them. And if you won't, put it all on me and wipe me out of your book of life. Moses was doing this to spare his own people, laying down himself on their behalf. And the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. Now therefore, go, lead the people into the place which I have spoken to thee. Behold, mine angel shall go before thee. Nevertheless, in the day that when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. And the Lord plagued the people because they made a calf, which Aaron made. So we see here in Exodus 32 an incredible account of the people quickly turning away. They, they got bored as they waited for, for Moses to come down. He was there for 40 days. They got bored. They got distracted. They wanted something to worship. And they go to the religious leader and they say, give us something to worship. And so Aaron gives them the desires of their heart and gives them something that's going to be pleasing to them and something that's going to be entertaining to them. And apparently, again, he didn't think this was a problem because he mixes it, mixes it right in and declares a feast day to the Lord and he mixes it right in with trying to worship the true God. And then... Think about these questions that would have come. Where is, where is Moses? Why is he taking so long? Did he just leave us here to die? Did he bring us out here to die? These are things that they must have thought as they were waiting for him, and, and, and then their boredom create an idol. 
But then we see when God wants to destroy the people, Moses steps in twice on their behalf and, and, and reminds God of the covenant. And God, uh, God's wrath is, is, does not pour out on the people fully. When Moses comes down from the mountain, he calls and gathers up those that are loyal to God. And about 3,000 men die that day because of their sins. So here's, from what we've seen in the story of Exodus and the story of Moses, what we see is a man that is a deliverer. He is a mediator between God and men, taking the law to them and talking to God on their behalf. He is the lawgiver, the one who receives the instruction from God and delivers it to the people. He is the one that binds uh, them with blood to the covenant. As they said, we agree and we will do these things. They sacrifice and he sprinkles blood on the book and on the people and he binds them together with this covenant. When it's his time to be called up to go up to God to, to get more instruction, uh, he ascends up the mountain and goes up to God and there he is in the presence of God to hear and, and to receive more instruction and more uh, laws to give them and to intercede on their behalf. He goes up to the presence of God and pleads uh, with God on behalf of the people. And when he comes down from the mountain, he executes judgment against those who are unrighteous. And, and about 3,000 that day, uh, die that day, although those who are righteous are gathered together as he asks, who is on the Lord's side? And the sons of Levi gather themselves unto him. Uh, this is what we see of Moses, and this is a clear picture for us of Jesus and, and the story that that is happening now with the, the, the story of the New Testament and the part that we play. We haven't come to a, a mountain that cannot be touched, a mountain where we should be fearful and that we'll die if we, we cross a barrier. We haven't come to this terrifying image of, of thunderings and smoke and lightning on this mountain where we have to be fearful and stand far off. No, instead, we've been called to come forward and, and join the presence of God and, and in boldness come to Him. Uh, it says in Hebrews chapter 12, You are not come to the mount that might be touched, and that burned with fire, nor into blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they had heard, entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. But you are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly in the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to, to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and the blood of sprinkling that, that speaketh better things than that of Abel. This is what we've come to. This is, this is not the same kind of covenant that God has made with His people the way we saw He made in, in, in Exodus. This is a totally different thing and a totally different covenant. God invites us to come near to Him. He's come to prove us through, through the example of Christ and through the giving of the New Testament so that we can be His holy and royal people and His priesthood. That's what He wants from us, and He invites us in to come and draw near to Him, not to stand far off the way the Israelites stood off. Uh, he wants us to come because we've come to something better. Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to Jesus, the mediator of this new covenant, and, and to His blood. And so, so what we see is a, a direct parallel of the story of Israel and Moses and the people and God to what's happening in the New Testament and even for us today. Uh, Jesus is pointed out as, as the main storyline when Peter talks about this in Acts 3, he says, For Moses truly said to the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up to your brethren like to me. Him shall you hear in all things whatsoever he shall say to you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Even Moses understood that the story was talking about somebody else. He was just a placeholder. He was just a, he was just a, a symbol of the one that should come. And he says, God's going to raise up a prophet like me. That's the one you need to listen to. That's the one you need to hear. And so, so again, the parallels are, are very direct in these stories. We saw that Moses was a deliverer. But what we see of Jesus is that he is the deliverer. Moses, yes, led them out of Egypt. And that's a symbol of sin and death. Because Jesus is the one who leads us out of the true place of sin and death, Hades. In Hebrews chapter 2, 14-15, it says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood... Jesus himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had power of death, that is the devil, 
and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Jesus is the one who goes down into the grave and He brings us up. There He is multiplied and He brings up His people out of this place. He brings them up out of the power of sin and death. And, and He delivers humanity who through fear of death was all our lifetime subject to bondage and no longer are we subject to bondage because of what Christ did as the true deliverer. Moses, we saw, was the lawgiver, giving, getting the commandments from God and delivering it to the people. Uh, but he was just a messenger. Jesus is the true source, and He is the one that is the lawgiver. Uh, the commandments He receives from, from His Father are what He teaches us. John 8, 25-28. Then they said to Him, Who art thou? And Jesus said to them, Even the same that I said to you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge of you, but He that sent me is true, and I speak the words to the world, those things which I have heard of Him. Jesus has a direct line of communication with the Father, and He is God in the flesh. And He is the, the one who gives us the true commandments to, to follow and to obey. He is the true mediator. We saw of Moses, him going and talking on behalf of the people to God and, and being this person in the middle that is talking between both parties. Jesus is the mediator, the true one that talks with God on our behalf. Hebrews 8, 5-6 through six, that these things of the Old Testament serve as the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, said he, that thou make all things according to the pattern show thee in the mount. Remember, Moses went up to that mountain and received that pattern. So that's a, a reminder of what we already talked about. But now has, has he, Jesus, obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. Jesus is the one who works between these two parties and he, make, he brings about this new covenant. He's the mediator of this new plan and this new agreement that God has made with humanity. And, and he's the one that works on our behalf. And not only does he mediate and help and create this, this new covenant and brings it and delivers it on behalf of God to the people, he also binds us together with, to, to this new covenant. Remember when that covenant was delivered to the people, Moses took blood and he sprinkled it on the people and on the altar and on the books, and, and it was all bound together by the sacrificial blood? Well, Jesus gives a, a blood that is way greater than any animal blood that could ever be given, and he ratifies the New Testament and binds us to it with his own blood. Hebrews chapter 9 says this, beginning in verse 14. How much more... So the question that's posed here, when you look at the previous verses, he talks about the sprinkling of the animal blood and the, the sprinkling of the ashes of an heifer and how that was capable of cleansing the, the flesh of the priests and make them approachable to God. But now he asks a, a, a question. How much more then, if that was the case with animal blood and, and ashes, how much greater is the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. If the blood of, of bulls and goats and, this, and the sprinkling of the ashes of an heifer made somebody clean physically enough to come in to worship God, he's saying the blood of Christ is so much better because it's going to purge your conscience. And it's going to change you from the dead works to now serve the living God. That's how much greater and more powerful the blood of Christ is. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is a force after men are dead, otherwise it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Just the same way that blood was sprinkled, Jesus spills his own blood and binds us together to the new covenant. And this covenant is one that calls us to love God and love our fellow man so that we can be God's holy people and His royal priesthood. And it's, and it's bound with the strongest sacrifice there could ever be, the blood of Christ. Jesus, <clears throat> then, if we saw Moses go be called up to the mountain, 
and ascends up to God. And we see Jesus ascends up to the presence of God to sit, not just to go up and receive instruction that he's going to come back down and deliver, but he goes up to ascend on the right hand of the throne of God. Luke chapter 24. And as he said this unto them, he's teaching them, thus it is written and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And, and behold, it looks like, and behold, I have left a verse off the, the page. <laughs> uh, he says, And you are witnesses of these things, and behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. So we see the ascension of Christ take place there at the end of the book of Luke. You see the same thing in Acts chapter 1. It's, those are overlapping. Uh, the end of Luke and the beginning of Acts overlap. And we see Jesus ascend up to the, to the right hand of the, the throne of God. And he ascends up to the presence of the Father. Now there, having ascended up to heaven in the presence of God, is sitting at his right hand there to intercede on our behalf. When we commit sin, when we commit folly, when we do these horrible things and turn away from God, Jesus is there to plead on our behalf, and God extends mercy to us because of Jesus. Romans chapter 8 says, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Moses uh, was capable of, of successfully interceding with God, but Jesus is even better because he shed his own blood and he stands there at the right hand of the Father and pleads our case for us. He is our advocate between us and the Father. 1 John 2, 1 through, uh, 1 John 2 chapter 1, uh, verse 1 through 2. My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So Jesus is capable of interceding to God and bringing blessings to us and the blessing of forgiveness and mercy because he shed his own blood and reminds God of the blood he shed and the covenant that was made and the covenant of blessing all nations through him. And so God extends his forgiveness to us through Jesus and because of Jesus. Now this got me thinking. These parallels are pretty strong between Moses and, and Jesus. And I think the same can be said about us and the Hebrews that were so set on mischief, that were so easy to get distracted, so easy to get bored while they waited for Moses to return from the presence of God. They got tired of waiting for him. And so I think it's important for us to ask ourselves as we learn from these, these lessons about our own life, are we tired of waiting for Jesus to come back? Peter talked about scoffers in 1 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3. Knowing this, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. These scoffers say, Well, you know, things are just going to go on. The world is just going to keep on turning the way it always has been. There's no promise of His coming. He's not going to come back. And they just walk after their own lusts and their own desires. Don't we often hear the same kind of doubts about Christ? And, and do you have these same kind of doubts in your heart and mind? As we sit here waiting as patiently as we can for Jesus to return. He's promised that He's coming back. But when? Where is He? Is He ever coming back? Has He brought us or just left us here to die? And defend for ourselves? Why did, he, why did Christ leave us here alone? You know, sadly, we see this kind of attitude displayed in the church sometimes, even today. People have gotten tired of waiting for Jesus to come. They turn to their religious leaders and ask for their own golden calf to worship their own desires so they can serve that instead. Because we want something tangible. We want something we can see. We want something, some kind of evidence right before our face so that we can worship and devote our life to this thing. 
And you see, you see the splintering that it's caused, even in, in, in religions that are based off of Christianity. People are out there worshiping entertainment and games and all this kind of fun stuff, and they're so excited about these things. It's a golden calf. It's idolatry because they're bored with, with just waiting for Christ to come back and living our lives according to the holy pattern that He's asked us to live by. That's boring to some people, and so they want to replace it with something else. And that calf is made out of their own gold. So out of our own possession, out of our own desires, out of our own self, we, we, we craft this image, and we think it's some holy thing, but it's really all just coming from our own selves, and it's weak, and it's material, and it's, and it's empty, and is not capable of helping us be holy. How many people today are living their own lives, eating and drinking and rising up to play, just having a good old time, just living it up, doing what they want, how they want, when they want, with no care for the fact that Christ is going to return again? That's the attitude that these people have. And when, when the mediator, the lawgiver, came back down, the party was over. And, and it was time for judgment to be executed. And this should be sobering. This should help shake us out of our, our, our uh, complacency if we've gotten to that point. This should help shake us out of that. Because just like Moses, Jesus is coming back. And He is going to execute judgment against the unrighteous. And it's unpleasant for us to think about, and it's unpleasant for us to hear, but it is the truth of the Scriptures, and we would be wrong to ignore it and to not teach these things. Luke chapter 12, 45-46. But if... And, and, but and and if that servant say in his heart, my Lord delays his coming. If that's the attitude we have, like the servant that Jesus is saying in this parable, well, he's going to be gone for a long time. I've got time. I have time. And he shall begin to beat the manservants and the maidservants and to eat and to drink and be drunken. The Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him. And at an hour when he is not aware and will cut him asunder and will appoint his por portion with the unbelievers. That imagery of being cut asunder goes back to even when this covenant that God made with Abraham. He splits these animals in half and he passes through them and the connotation is, if I break this covenant, let me be cut in pieces like these animals. And so the people who break the covenant, Jesus promises that they are going to receive the punishment that is due from breaking the covenant, being cut asunder. We will be utterly destroyed because if we get lazy and we, we stop waiting for Jesus, it's going to lead us to mistreat our fellow man. It's going to cause us to be consumed with our own lusts, eating and drinking, and to be drunken. And it's going to cause us to not live a holy life that God wants us to live. And the Lord of that servant will come unexpectedly because you're not paying attention and you're not aware of our own conduct and the fact that He is going to come again. And then will be cut asunder and appointed our portion with the unbelievers and cast out. And just like we read about with Abraham, we'll be cast out into outer darkness. There will be a great feast with all nations that come from the east and the west and the north and the south, and they'll sit down in the kingdom of God with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob, but we ourselves will be cast out from that. If we get bored and we forget and we get impatient and we turn to our own self, and just as Moses came down from that mountain and he looked upon this unrighteousness, he stood there at the gate and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Jesus is coming to do the very same thing. And he knows who is on his side. And he will gather up those faithful people to himself. This is the promise, of, uh, this is the promise that we see. He is the deliverer. He is the mediator. He is the lawgiver. He binds us with his blood to the covenant, ascends to the throne, intercedes in our behalf, execute judgment, and ultimately will gather up the righteous to be with Him in glory. In 1 Thessalonians 4, this is the promise we see. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with Him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. God knows who are His and who are on His side. And we have a choice in the matter as far as the way we live our lives today. He's given us the precepts in the New Testament to follow so that we can live holy lives and be His royal priesthood. 
Don't get bored. Don't get impatient. Don't get distracted. Follow the commandments and know that the, the promise of Christ is sure. Don't be like the Israelites. Learn from the lesson that, that we have there. Uh, what a beautiful example and picture we have of Jesus being all of these things and the story being told through the story of Moses that ultimately shows us this great blessing of Christ that is coming to us. And so as we close this lesson, I want you to ponder that question. Are you on the Lord's side? You know the answer to the question. We don't know everyone's hearts and minds, but you do. You know what's going on in your life. You know what's going on in your heart. You know if you've been distracted or if you've, if you've turned to idols, if you're trying to fill your life with things that, are, that you think are going to bring you uh, joy and glory. And God doesn't want us to do that. And He gives us a chance to repent. While we have breath in our lungs now and while we have time and Christ has not returned yet, we can shake ourselves out of that be awake, awakened to righteousness and come to Him. Repent of our, of our sins. Repent of any wickedness that we may be involved in. Humble ourselves. And God, because of Jesus, will grant us forgiveness through His blood. And that's a great blessing. Don't ignore that and don't miss your opportunity uh, today, while it is called today, to repent and to, to continue walking in the light. I want to encourage you, if you... If you are compelled to, uh, there's some who haven't been baptized, perhaps. If, if you know that there's sin in your life and you don't want to miss your opportunity to be part of the people of God, if you're on the Lord's side, don't put that off. Be baptized into Christ, repent of your sins, and He will, he will wash them away so that you can serve the, the true and living God. And then you will be part of His kingdom of royal priests. But if, on the other hand, you have been baptized and you know there's sin in your life and you want prayers, the family of Christ are here for you. We, we're, we really mean that when we say we want to be here for each other. And more importantly, we want to pray with you so that Christ will intercede on your behalf and, and grant forgiveness for your sins and, and set you on a new, a renewed path to following Christ. So if you're here this morning and you need, you have either of these needs, uh, we're here and ready. All you have to do is come forward and sit on this front pew and we'll talk as we sing this song that's been selected. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening and God bless.